Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. This is episode 252. Oh my goodness. Uh, we got a great show today. I'm going to talk about 12 college quarterbacks that I'm excited to watch and why and kind of share some insight. I might add a 13th if I get creative. There's one guy I'm kind of on the fence about. I'm going to talk about the Lance Armstrong documentary. I was surprised, not only that I knew so little about Lance Armstrong, but also that I loved his story. He's not an, he's a very ambiguous character. He's not really black and white. He's very uh, nuanced. Lance Armstrong, we'll talk about the documentary, really, really good. We're going to talk about Max Brown a former USC quarterback who I think is just one of the most, he's a guy who's processed a lot of grief and it's really important to talk about. We're going to finish the show with some ask Zach questions at the end. But first, before we do anything, this episode is sponsored by Manscaped. Uh, As my girlfriend calls them, Manscaped with a D because they're for the D and then she awkwardly trails off and goes, and I guess for the B as well. And now you can deduce which one the B is. Um, I, I'm proud to work with Manscaped. Uh, I, I think you, if you listen to the show, you know that I'm not a guy who does a lot of sponsorships. A lot of companies reach out to me, but I really only want to promote products that I actually like and actually believe in. And a lot of people, man, behind the scenes, I get a lot of crap for that. People think that's weird. Uh, but I'm proud because every time I say yes to a sponsorship, it's because it's a product I actually believe in. Um, and I think it matters more when I do that and have a really more cur- like curated um, choosing than just taking every single offer that people throw at me. Um, and I, I'm fortunate enough to not need the money from every single sponsorship. I want to say Manscaped is awesome. They sent me a lawnmower 3.0. I used it. Um, it's really a cool little device. It's got a light on it. It's got an incredible motor. Um, and the guard is what really, really helped. Uh, they're great people. I love working with them behind the scenes. But again, their product is phenomenal. So the Lawnmower 3.0, it, it, they sent it to me, and it's made my life a lot better. I know that a lot of dudes listen to the show, and I cannot recommend Manscaped enough. I mean, they really helped me. My dad and I are pretty close, but the one lesson my dad never gave me, my dad that never sat down, he never gave me the lesson on how to trim the hedges downstairs. And if you're anything like me, you turn 15 and went, crap. How, how do I do this? I, I don't have a game plan. There's no tutorial. It was really before I, I turned 15, kind of before Google. I knew how to use it as well as I do now. Um, and, you know, real talk, I've always kind of dreaded cleaning things up downstairs because the process has not been an enjoyable, easy experience. Um, even with an electric razor, I always find a way to nick myself and, you know, cut up the family jewels. And it's not a good time. And if you've done that, if you've nicked up the family jewels, you know, it's not a good experience. And so I say this very, I say this very shamelessly. The Lawnmower 3.0, it looks like this came in this box. They sent me a whole kit. It was phenomenal. The Lawnmower 3.0 by Manscaped has taken a process that I have hated performing pretty much my entire life and made it easy. Trimming downstairs. I know it sounds funny. I've never talked about anything like that on the show. But as, as like a dude, just man to man, my advice is if you don't have a plan, a game plan, for trimming downstairs, go to manscaped.com and pick it up. It really helped me. Um, I even got experimental. I kind of, I got a little carried away. I was like, okay, can I cut myself? I really was like, 
doing every angle and everything I possibly could. You can't. It's a really well-made device. I think it's phenomenal. Um, and I just, if trimming downstairs is a process you want to make easier, I cannot recommend the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped enough. Uh, we do have a promo code. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code CLNS20 for a 20% discount on purchases. A lot of times when you hear a promo code, it's only for your first purchase. I don't believe that's how this works. I believe it's a 20% off any purchase, anytime. CLNS20, CLNS20 to get 20% off your purchase with manscaped.com. Um, I know I don't normally say the word balls on the show. I'm pretty, um, I'm very kind of straight edge kind of guy when I do the podcast. But I'm serious. Do your balls a favor. Go pick up the Lawnmower 3.0 if you don't already have a plan to deal with. Or if your plan right now, my plan sucked. It nicked up my balls and it was not fun. Go get the Lawnmower 3.0. CLNS20 for 20 percent off sent off your first price. It's not, it's not even, I'm so used to saying your first purchase. 20% off your purchase. Go to lawnmower, Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code CLNS20. I think you've given them enough time, but I, I have no shame really. Say, talking about them a lot at the beginning of the show because they truly are a, a product and a brand that I like and they're good people. They were great to work with and I want to now jump into the show. There are 12 college quarterbacks that I cannot wait to watch next season and I want to run down the list but we'll start with Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback at Clemson because some people call this guy the next Andrew Luck. I am not sold on that it's very clear when you watch Trevor Lawrence play football, it's clear and obvious he's definitely an NFL quarterback. But everyone saw him beat Alabama his freshman year in the national championship. And after that moment, he was immediately anointed the best quarterback prospect in years. And there was this assumption he was going to keep getting better and better and better. And I, I honestly asked the question, has he really gotten better? I felt like at times he took a step backward when it came to decision making last year. And I was kind of... It was kind of weird. Trevor Lawrence went undefeated. He went to the national championship. He did lose to LSU. But I, I really don't feel like Trevor Lawrence took a big step forward last year. That's kind of weird. I know that makes a lot of people upset because there's such a, an assumption. He's this incredible Andrew Luck style quarterback. And he's definitely an NFL quarterback. But I'm really excited to watch Trevor Lawrence keep getting better and develop as an NFL quarterback in the next year, maybe two years if he stays in college beyond that. His arm strength, his accuracy... But his decision-making, again, seemed to take a step backwards last year. And he needs to improve if he's going to be considered, in my book, the best quarterback in the last 15 or 20 years. I want to see a little bit more from Trevor Lawrence. Can't wait to watch him. Now, number two, the quarterback, the second quarterback I can't wait to watch is another guy that has been really, really massively hyped up. It's Justin Fields at Ohio State. He definitely has NFL potential. But he's also got some issues with ball location, with timing. There are little things about Justin Fields' game when it comes to the ability to throw the football. He needs to clean up. He's an incredible athlete. I love the way he moves. He's actually, I want to give him credit where credit is due. I even made a video saying Justin Fields isn't quite ready. And I don't think that's really an outrageous statement to say that Justin Fields is not ready to be an NFL quarterback. He's not. He's played one year as a starting quarterback, a full year in college football. So saying he needs to clean things up is not a crazy mistake, a crazy thing to say. But I will say he made good decisions last year. The big problem with him was his erratic ball placement. He'd have guys wide open, and he'd throw the ball a little bit behind someone so no one would notice that it was bad ball placement. But that happened all the time with a, a guy throwing to people wide open, 
not hitting them perfectly in stride. And then he really did not show an ability to beat tight man coverage consistently without help from his receivers. So I just want to see a little bit more growth for Justin Fields as an NFL-type quarterback. Um, I, people fall in love with his stat line. They fall in love with the fact that he won a bunch of games last year and his highlights are phenomenal. But I encourage people, go watch the negative plays from Justin Fields. Don't ignore them because they do matter. And people so often just watch highlights rather than watching a full game or all the film to get a full view of what a player looks like, not just the one game or the one season of good plays rather than the bad plays. I got a lot to keep watching from Justin Fields. Now, number three, the quarterback I can't wait to watch, the third quarterback I can't wait to watch, is Jamie Newman. He transferred from Wake Forest to Georgia, and this was a massive Massive move in college football. He makes Georgia a threat to win the SEC. I think he's a more... I, look, I loved Jake Fromm, the quarterback last year at Georgia. Jake Fromm had a limited ceiling. Jamie Newman does not. Jamie Newman is a much better athlete. He's got a b- bigger arm. He's capable of more. And I really can't wait to watch him play at Georgia. Um, he's a great college quarterback right now. I'm curious if he's going to become an NFL quarterback. We saw some good throws at Wake Forest, but he had a lot of jump balls. And the reality was that the talent around him at Wake Forest really didn't do him a lot of favors. And so he's on my radar now. Jamie Newman's a guy I can't wait to evaluate next year. And I cannot wait to watch him play at Georgia. Number one, with great talent around him. But number two, he's going to play against SEC-level defenses. That's going to be a big move for him. And... The transfer is good for him, not only as a quarterback, he's going to develop and get better coaching and play with better players and improve as a quarterback by playing against SEC defenses, but he's also going to have an opportunity to prove himself to NFL scouts and really raise his value in the NFL draft. Jamie Newman's a guy to keep your eye on. There hasn't been a lot of talk about him. Him moving to Georgia was a massive deal, and I just think it's getting a little bit overlooked, and it really shouldn't be. Jamie Newman to Georgia is a huge, huge move. Number four, it's a quarterback I've talked about a lot. Trey Lance, the quarterback at North Dakota State. He's tough to evaluate because Trey Lance is so dominant. He plays at the D1 AA level and at a school that's even more dominant than Alabama or LSU was last year. Here's the headline, though, and it's not, it's not misleading. Trey Lance had zero interceptions last year as a freshman during a 16-game national championship winning season. And the reason why he had zero interceptions was because he's a phenomenal decision maker. He is a head and shoulders better than every other person on the football field. When Trey Lance gets on the field, there's nobody else around him that's as good. He's that much better, exponentially better than everyone else. And it's kind of astounding to me. He might be a first round quarterback. I cannot wait to watch Trey Lance next year. His continued growth as a quarterback. He's entering his redshirt sophomore year. He is eligible for the NFL draft after next year. I'd love to see him stay a little bit longer, keep developing. But the dude's got a great arm. He can run around. And I cannot wait to watch him develop next year at NDSU. Okay, number five, six, and seven are three quarterbacks who were all freshmen last year. Number five is Keaton Slovis at USC. He became the starter when JT Daniels got hurt. And as an 18-year-old, true freshman starting quarterback at USC, he lit it up. I mean, the guy's got great timing. 
he he had some freshman mistakes. I'm not going to say he didn't was he, I mean, he wasn't perfect, right? He's got some issues. He had some interceptions and some wonky throws. A little bit of I, I don't know. Here's the thing though: the NFL potential you see in Keaton Slovis is his decision making. Um, he's so good at not only moving within the pocket, moving around outside of the pocket, extending plays, but he's working from one to two all the way across the field to his third, fourth, even his fifth option occasionally. It's a massive deal. He's got a great arm, but arm strength is not the thing I'm most excited about. It's his ability and his habits as a quarterback. Again, going to his third, fourth, fifth option, the way he slides around in the pocket, very comfortable with pressure all around him, pressure in his face. He's not phased by getting hit. He's not praised by phased by bodies being around him. That's a really impressive skill to have as a young quarterback. It's very rare. And I just can't wait to watch Keaton Slovis. I think he's going to play next year. Now, USC does have JT Daniels, another quarterback on their roster. He's in the transfer portal. He may or may not leave. It's kind of up in the air. But I, I would be very curious to see if JT Daniels leaves USC to avoid competing with Keaton Slovis, who really looked like an NFL quarterback last year as a freshman. His habits are great. He's got a great arm. And I think Keaton Slovis is a guy to watch next year at USC. Now, number six, we have Sam Howell at North Carolina. The dude is built like Baker Mayfield. He's a shorter, stocky dude with a cannon. Great ball location, a ton of back shoulder throws. His ability to throw the ball down the sidelines vertically might be the best in college football. I mean, he really is great at throwing the deep ball, throwing fades, throwing back shoulder, throwing comebacks. The dude has a rifle, and he's a really good decision maker. Again, very similar to Keaton Slovis at USC. He's a guy who can work to his third, his fourth option. He was a starter as a freshman last year at UNC. And I want to be very clear. Please do not compare him to Mitchell Trubisky, another quarterback who went to UNC. It's not fair to Sam Howell. Sam is way more talented than Mitchell Trubisky is and ever was. And he plays for a completely different coaching staff. I hate this narrative. People are like, well, he's from the same college. That doesn't really mean anything. Maybe they stayed in the same geographic location, but they play for a different coaching staff. They're completely different quarterbacks with different skill sets. Sam Howell is a phenomenal quarterback. Don't compare him to Mitchell Trubisky. He's a great quarterback. I can't wait to watch him, and he is a future NFL quarterback. Continue to watch him next year at UNC. He's doing some special stuff. Now, number seven, we have Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, another freshman quarterback. This dude's talent is unbelievable. He's one of those guys, when you watch him play, you're like, oh, crap. That dude's different. He throws the ball different. And then you realize he's a freshman? Oh, what the heck? That's crazy. I loved watching the dude. He can run. He was really clutch in some big moments last year at Arizona State. Honestly, the one thing I would have to critique Jaden Daniels on is something off the field. I know some people at Arizona State, uh, my friends, they say that he's sort of quiet. He's a nice dude, a great guy. People love him. But I personally would love to see him develop more as a vocal presence in the ASU locker room. I want to see Jaden Daniels go from a a quiet, timid freshman, which no one can blame him. As a freshman, you're there trying to earn your keep, trying to work hard, trying to gain everyone's respect. In year two now, as a sophomore, I want to see Jaden Daniels take a step forward as a leader, be more vocal, grab hold of that locker room. And Jaden Daniels, if he does things like that, man, he is a special talent, and I really want to watch him. He's an NFL quarterback, but I do want to see him develop as a leader at Arizona State. Number eight is Brock Purdy at Iowa State. Going in, he's going into, into his junior year. Going into his junior year at Iowa State, he's a very scrappy guy. Uh, he's been well coached. 
He's got some NFL traits that I really, really like. His footwork in the pocket's phenomenal. He's able to extend plays. He regularly throws to his third and fourth reads. And he's good at working through progressions. He's got a touchdown against Kansas. A touchdown from Brock Purdy, Iowa State against Kansas. Oh, my gosh. It was like a laser beam over the middle. And I just thought that was the ball on film where I went, oh, he's different a little bit. And from then on, I started watching more and more and went, yep, uh, it's pretty clear that Brock Purdy has some level of NFL ability. I don't know if he's a franchise quarterback yet. I don't know if he's a backup. Maybe he's a guy like, maybe he's a middle ground guy. Maybe he's Case Keenum. I don't know. But Brock Purdy has some kind of NFL talent. He's going to get a shot somewhere at some point. And I want to keep my eyes on him and see how he develops. Now, number 9, 10, and 11 are three guys who were not starters last year in college football. Number 9 is Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. Now, he's going to put up huge numbers. He's an Oklahoma quarterback. He can run. He's got a cannon. He's got a great arm, really accurate. Really, This is a weird saying, but a live arm. When you watch Spencer Rattler throw the ball, you go, oh, that looks different. It jumps off his hand. You're like, that's a, that's a kid with a cannon. Um, he's going to be a sophomore next year. It will be his first year starting in college football. He sat behind Jalen Hurts last year, came off the bench a little bit, played occasionally. Spencer Rattler is going to shred college football. Pretty much any Oklahoma quarterback at this point, I'm convinced, would do that. But when you have a guy like Spencer Rattler with his talent level, his ability— Oh, and you're pairing him with Lincoln Riley and the weapons they have at Oklahoma. Something's going to happen. He's going to explode. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. And I'm curious, how does he develop as an NFL quarterback? I, I think he's the next guy in the lineage of Oklahoma quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Landry Jones is back there, but less relevant now. Spencer Rattler's the next guy out of Oklahoma that you're going to go, oh, yeah, maybe a Heisman candidate. Going to put up a lot of numbers. Going to be an NFL quarterback at some point. Keep your eye on Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. Now, number 10 is Talia Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa. Jeez, I always do this. I hate. I read the notes and I don't say it. His name is Talia Tagovailoa. I am so sorry to people who are, uh, especially Polynesians. I know I mispronounced that name at first. I apologize. Uh, he's the brother of Tua Tagovailoa. He transferred from Alabama to Maryland. I assume that he left Alabama so he had a chance to get on the field and become the starting quarterback at Maryland. Um, and I'll be honest, this is the first time I will have paid attention to Maryland football in years. I've never cared. Like, Maryland has interesting uniforms. But other than that, are they really relevant to watch? Not really. Talia Tungavaloa makes them interesting. He's, got, he's the brother of the top five, the number five overall pick in the NFL draft, a quarterback at Miami with the Dolphins and... Being the younger brother of a really successful person in the same field as you can be very tough, but I cannot wait to watch Talia Tungavaloa. I hope he's the starter because if he is, he'll give me a reason to watch Maryland football for the first time in years. Number 11 is a guy named Real Mitchell. I've talked to him a couple times behind the scenes. He's a great dude. I really like him. Uh, Really, really friendly. Really just a, a nice human being. And he transferred from Iowa State behind Brock Purdy, transferred to Temple. I watched his film from 2019. I got access to watch his practices even. And it's really interesting to watch how Real Mitchell's developed a lot as a quarterback behind the scenes, you know, behind closed doors at practice last year at Iowa State. He's a much better quarterback than he was at the beginning of the year than he was last year at the end of the year. Um, I guess what I'm, my point is he developed and got better. I hope I said, I probably said that backwards. Um, but... 
Temple's got a quarterback, Anthony Russo. I don't know that Real Mitchell's going to be the starter day one. Uh, he might not start at all next year, but he's going to get into the program at Temple, going to get to work, and I really think that Real Mitchell's a guy to watch. He's got some NFL ability, and with the progress he made last year behind closed doors, he's a guy worth paying attention to. He might not play a lot next year, but put him on your radar. Keep him in your mind because at some point, Real Mitchell, in my opinion, is going to do something worth watching. I'm really excited to watch him. Uh, I'm a fan of him as a person as well. He's a very nice, kind dude. And uh, I think he's got some NFL potential that's untapped. And he just kind of got unfortunate. You know, I feel kind of bad for him. This is a, I don't want to say, maybe not, maybe, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to be inappropriate. But he got stuck behind DJ Ugalele, who's now at Clemson. Who's, who, I, I, believe, I believe DJ was the number one quarterback in the nation. He played with, on the same team as him in high school. And then in college, he played behind Brock Purdy. That's in the career of Real Mitchell. He's played behind two different top high-level NFL quarterbacks. I think Real needs a chance to shine on his own. I can't wait to watch that. And if he gets an ability to play and gets a chance to play, I think Real Mitchell could do some interesting special stuff. I know number 12, uh, my number 12 quarterback. I try to look at things from an NFL perspective. And the fun for me with college football is seeing guys develop into NFL quarterbacks. You know, a lot of guys are good college quarterbacks. Luke Falk is a great example of a guy who was great in college, but I never really saw an ability as an NFL quarterback. He was putting up big numbers, but big numbers and a lot of success in college does not necessarily mean NFL success. Now, one guy I am really fascinated, just kind of interested in, because I want to see whether or not this guy develops into an NFL quarterback. It's Sam Ellinger, the quarterback at Texas. When he first became the starter at Texas, I kind of wrote him off because he played a lot like Tim Tebow, a big quarterback who runs people over and a great leader. I, I like everything about Sam, but the hard thing for me was his playing style was not really resembling an NFL quarterback. But as time has gone on, if you watch the film on Sam Ellinger, if you remove your bias, you remove your first impression, he's getting better and better and better as a passer. Sam Ellinger at Texas is, you know, his highlight reel is great, but it's the little things he does. You go, oh, you know what? That's an NFL throw. The throw down the sideline. You're like, oh. Or he's going from his first, second to then his third and fourth option, throwing a backside comeback. Or looking off a of safety and throwing to the right. There's little things Sam Ellinger's been doing quietly behind the scenes. People in Texas know this, but Sam Ellinger's going from a good college quarterback to a guy who might be actually a good NFL quarterback. There's a big gap there and a big difference. And I'm really curious if Sam continues to develop as a passer because he has NFL potential. Kind of, this really reminds me of Jalen Hurts. You watch Jalen Hurts a couple of years ago at Alabama, you go, nope, he's not an NFL quarterback. But by the time a couple of years later, Jalen Hurts was leaving Oklahoma, you went, wow, he's taken a massive step forward and really changed his body of work and changed his ability as a quarterback. Sam Ellinger is similar at Texas. Keep your eye on him. He's got a shot to play in the NFL, and I, I don't know if he's a franchise quarterback. I don't know what, but I want to watch him next year and watch how he develops. Now, I said 12. I'm going to throw in a 13th because it's my show. I can do whatever I want. Um, there's a quarterback at UCLA. I keep, every year I keep trying to watch. I keep saying, is this the year that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to finally show an NFL glimpse or an NFL 
ability because the ability's there. A couple of years ago, I watched Washington State versus UCLA where Dorian Thompson Robinson went on a tear. He, I think he scored like 64 points, and you went, who is this kid? Who is DTR? This kid's incredible. And then it just never came after that. It was like, He was like a one-hit wonder. I was like, where is the rest of the success? Why isn't this a continued habitual thing? I don't know what's going on with Dorian Thompson Robinson, but I'm going to still keep my eye on him. I, I feel like I've been misled in the past by him, and he gives me a glimmer of hope. I go, oh, maybe this is the time. And then he doesn't do anything with it. But I just encourage you, keep your eye on Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA. He'll be a junior, his third year of eligibility, I believe. Because 2018, 2019, yeah, 20, that's his third year of eligibility. And I just think that there, there's something there. He's playing with Chip Kelly, a, clearly an offensive genius. And the arm talent, the ability to run around, I, DTR has too many traits that I go, he's just so talented. Can he put it together? I don't know. But I can't wait to watch him. And actually, now that I'm talking about it, there's one more guy. Uh, De'Aaron King transferred from Houston to Miami. Keep your eye on De'Aaron King. So there you go. Those are the 14, I guess. I didn't in, intend to have 14. But number one was Trevor Lawrence. Number two, Justin Fields. Number three, Jamie Newman. Number four, Trey Lance. Number five was, oh my gosh, Keaton Slovis. Number six, Sam Howell. Number seven, Jaden Daniels. Number eight was, oh my gosh, Spencer Rattler. Nope, who was it? Number eight, I'm, I'm still, number eight, ah, it's Brock Purdy. Number nine, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. Number 10, Talia Tungavaloa at Maryland. Number 11, Real Mitchell at Temple. Number 12, Sam Ellinger at Texas. Number 13, not scripted, not on my notes, Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA. And number 14, De'Eric King, the quarterback of Miami, transferred from Houston, took a year off to play and redshirt and get better. I am curious about those 14 quarterbacks. They have all of them NFL potential. They're not all the same class. Some of them are NFL quarterbacks two years from now. Some of them are next year. Some of them are three years from now. But keep your eye on those 14 guys. Those are the 14 quarterbacks I believe that are worth watching that have NFL potential in college football. I'm curious if a name or two that I haven't mentioned will emerge. I don't, you can't predict what freshman's going to go off and have a great year. But right now, those are the 14 quarterbacks I have seen so far that all have NFL potential and an opportunity to develop into NFL quarterbacks playing on Sundays. Those are the 14 to watch. Man, that was fun. Um, I want to say briefly, last episode I talked about Tom Brady doing an informal workout with his teammates. And my takeaway was, why aren't more people doing this exact same thing? And man, I got a lot of anger responses. Uh, I, I don't know if anger is the right word. Maybe just, I got a lot of feedback. And I think some of the feedback I got was warranted and some of it was very fair. Uh, people told me like, hey, Baker Mayfield's throwing at his teammates. Lamar Jackson's throwing with Marquise Hollywood Brown. And all that feedback is not wrong. M- Matthew Stafford's throwing with people like, Every NFL quarterback is working with a receiver. And I want to, I'm not going to rescind what I said, because uh, I said, why aren't more people doing this? I asked a question. I think it's fair to ask the question. But I want to be clear. I keep getting messages from people saying, hey, this guy is throwing with a guy. This guy's throwing with a guy. And yeah, um, Lamar Jackson is throwing with one of his receivers. Lamar Jackson is throwing to Marquise Hollywood Brown. 
And Baker Mayfield has like two of his receivers with him. Great. That's great. But there's a big difference between an informal practice and a workout. DK Metcalf is not throwing with Russell Wilson. That's weird to me. Russell Wilson. I've seen videos of DK Metcalf in Seattle working with Jacob Sermon, the quarterback at UW, with Richard Sherman. Like, uh, what the heck? What's happening? Why is University of Washington's quarterback throwing with DK Metcalf rather than Russell Wilson? That's my question I keep posing. And I understand the feedback, right? Yes, Lamar Jackson's throwing with one of his teammates, Baker Mayfield is too. But the difference between what Tom Brady's doing in Tampa Bay and then every other quarterback in the NFL is every other quarterback is doing a workout. Hey, I, I, Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown, I think are going to be an incredible duo to watch. I like. I will say when I watch Lamar Jackson working out and throwing the other day, his mechanics look better. I went, oh crap! Hey, Lamar is getting better. I think Lamar is going to take a step forward next year as a passer. And man, is it good! He's throwing with Hollywood Brown as much as he is. But I want to be clear: there is a difference between what Lamar Jackson is doing and what Tom Brady's doing. Tom Brady has. O.J. Howard, Cameron Bray, Mike Evans, backup quarterback, other quarterback, another receiver. He's got like half of his team there doing things and running full plays. When you have multiple receivers running at the same time, running through plays and going through your timing is a lot different than throwing one route at a time to one of your receivers who play on the same team as you. It's a big difference. And my point when I talked about Tom Brady was to say that Tom is more organized and has more teammates with him than every other quarterback in the NFL. No other quarterback has as many teammates doing as much of an informal practice as Tom Brady's doing. Tom Brady's doing an informal practice, whereas other quarterbacks in the NFL are throwing, doing workouts, which is great. But why isn't Aaron Rodgers with his Packers receivers? Why doesn't he have multiple guys? He can fly them to his house and throw with them. Why isn't he doing that? It seems to me that Tom Brady's the only guy in the NFL who's been able to corral and get all of his teammates or so many more of his teammates together than all the other quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, there is a factor here that might make sense. Um, Lamar Jackson is in Miami for the offseason. That's where he's from. He's not going to stay in Maryland in the offseason. I don't blame him, but hey, if I was an NFL player, if I'm rich and I'm in my offseason, I'm probably going to go live in Miami as well. I get it. And Tom Brady doesn't have to go anywhere because where he now plays is an off-season destination. Tampa Bay, hey, if you're an NFL player, you probably want to go to Miami or California, but why not? If if you play in Tampa Bay, you're probably going to stay in Tampa Bay. I understand that. So maybe Tom Brady's had an easier time getting his teammates together with him because they're already in Tampa because that's where they spend their off-season. Where a lot of guys like Baker Mayfield's in Texas, Lamar Jackson's in Miami, Sam Darnold, I believe, is in Southern California. But my point is, why aren't more people taking more initiative and bringing more of their teammates together in a more organized fashion. That's my point. I want to see more of that happening because what Tom Brady's doing is basically running a practice without a coach saying, hey, I know enough of the offense. Let's run everything where you have Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. A lot of these NFL quarterbacks are throwing to like one of their guys. Tom Brady's throwing to like five or six of his guys. It's a big difference. And one is an informal practice. The other is an organized workout. I've ranted enough about this, but I just want to be clear. Yes, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield are throwing with their receivers, but why aren't they throwing with more of their receivers? That's the question. 
Maybe it's the destination. Maybe it's where they live. Maybe it's, hey, coronavirus, no one wants to move. I don't know. But it's worth asking, why is Tom Brady the only one with a bunch of it, not one or two, but a bunch of his receivers running through plays? It's totally legal. And I'm curious why more teams aren't doing that exact same thing. Woo! Went on a tangent, went on a rant. Um, But I, I... it's everything I say. I, I, I don't know. I'm having fun. That's all I want to say. I watched part one of the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about Lance Armstrong. Part one of two. Part two comes out next weekend. Um, and it was super interesting. I enjoyed it a ton. And way more. I enjoyed the Lance Armstrong 30 for 30 way more than I could have expected. I just didn't. I don't know. Uh, I've never really known anything about Lance Armstrong other than the three big hallmark obvious things about him which are number one he won a ton of championships in cycling number two I knew that he got testicular cancer at some point there's the whole live strong campaign and then number three I knew that Lance Armstrong got caught cheating and caught got caught doping but my impression even before I'd watched the documentary was that yeah Lance Armstrong cheated it's not good um but so was literally everybody else in cycling at that point and so it seems true that the only way to win was cheating and if you're going to cheat, you might as well win. I, I, I Kind of a weird take. I know that's not re- Like, nobody likes cheating. But, hey, if I'm cheating, the guy next to me is cheating. That guy's cheating. If all seven of the top seven guys are cheating, you might as well, hey, it comes down to who's better. It's, not, it's less about the drugs and more about, hey, I have the drive to win. I think there's still, even though Lance Armstrong did dope and he did cheat, there's still some bit of talent or determination or something there that makes him a champion that I don't think is entirely fair to strip him away from. To say, like, he only won because of drugs isn't quite right. That's not quite true because he still worked his butt off and still was clearly like a different kind of specimen when it came to racing. Um, And I'll be honest, I enjoy listening to Lance Armstrong talk. His delivery is very authentic. He's very real. Uh, It's almost like talking to a friend. He's, like, very much refreshingly himself, not afraid to just be who he is. And it's a very amazing, the difference between... Michael Jordan, we just watched The Last Dance and the Michael Jordan documentary. There's a big difference between the way Michael Jordan talks and the way that Lance Armstrong talks. Lance Armstrong isn't hiding anything. He's like, I am who I am. I own my faults. I'm not perfect. And, you know, where you watch The Last Dance documentary and Michael Jordan appears to be, like, constantly posturing. Like, he, he like, literally laughs at ideas of him potentially losing and his ego's way more involved in The Last Dance. I think because Lance Armstrong's already been publicly humiliated, he's been embarrassed. He, he got tarnished. He got really got a lot of hate. And I think Lance Armstrong realized, you know what? I don't care anymore. He owns his good sides and his bad sides. And Lance Armstrong is very nuanced, which I enjoy. He's not all bad, and he's certainly not all good. And that's, a, that's more honest. That's really what people are. And this documentary is such a strong contrast to The Last Dance because The Lance 30 for 30 is a true documentary. It's not afraid of making Lance look bad. Nobody cares if they hurt Lance Armstrong's feelings. And it works because Lance owns up to his past, which makes it, you know, he's like, yeah, I did do blah, blah, blah. I did do blah, blah, blah. And it it works because of that. And it's really interesting. The show literally starts with him going, I am who I am. I take blah, blah, blah. And then he literally says, and my truth is the way I remember things. This might be biased. I don't mean to be, 
But hey, if I say something that someone else doesn't believe, it's hey, I got facts wrong. It's how I remember things. And I love that they address that. They address bias right off the bat. Whereas, you know, the last dance very clearly was biased and no one talked about it other than Horace Grant yelling on the Internet other places. I don't know. And there's even a journalist who says at the very beginning who says, we believe Lance is doing this to make his image look better. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. I think Lance kind of just was like, hey, if my story is going to get told, I might as well be a part of it and tell my side too. And it's very cool stuff. It's a story of a dude known for cheating. If you haven't watched the Lance Armstrong documentary, go watch it. It's a two-part series. Part one is already out. And it's got so much less filter than The Last Dance had. And it's funny. When people talk about Michael Jordan, they kept using the term and the word competitor or competitive. And when people said Michael Jordan was competitive, it began to feel like a code word for jerk. But no one was willing to say that Michael Jordan was a jerk, so we'll say he is competitive. Where with Lance, nobody's got this affiliation, nobody's got this, they're not afraid to say it, or it wasn't cut out. And you know, the whole story is about kind of the price of chasing success. And even some of Lance's arrogance, I will say, seems more like ambition. There's a really interesting quote from Lance when he's like, in his early 20s, and he says that, I'm saying like a lot, I'm trying to cut that out, I, whatever, it's happening. Lance says, you know, I'm not saying I will win every race in the world, but I can try. That's less arrogance and more a guy with ambition trying to go after and pursue a goal, trying to be the best he possibly can be. There was a point made, someone said that American cyclists are kind of weird, but there's a reason for that. You know, in America, cycling is not a logical first choice. Kids would usually choose football or basketball or baseball or even soccer before he choose to pursue a sport like cycling because to be, become a professional cyclist you got to pour everything into it and why would anyone choose cycling over the other major sports in America so an american kid who chooses to do cycling as his major first sport is kind of an oddball kind of a weird dude who doesn't quite fit in now one thing i learned in the documentary is that the tour de france is 21 days. I knew it was a long race. I didn't realize 21 days of grueling like a marathon every single day. And what I, the way it, the Tour de France has talked about makes it sound like, honestly, you need drugs to do it. Like, I don't know how I could run a marathon every single day. No. The way that Lance cheated, he used a drug called EPO, which helps make red, red blood cells, which helps you get more oxygen and have a higher capacity to do aerobic activity like riding a bike. And it's wild how effective EPO was. The difference between first place and last place at the Tour de France is about 2%, two hours. If it's a 100-hour race and first place and last place are two hours difference between each other, there's about a 2% difference between first and last place. And the EPO can make you 10% better. So that's a massive jump, and you would want to use EPO if it makes you that much better. But cheating aside, Lance is still a cool story because he beat cancer, he came back and won, and it's clear he's a tough dude who fought hard and hated losing. There's some champion mentality to Lance Armstrong that cheating aside still is worth mentioning and noting. There's another thing I didn't know is that there's a thing called the Anti-Doping Agency. It's a, they're in Canada, and they help monitor and stop drug use 
in sports all over the world. And I'll be honest, I really thought this documentary was great. I'm excited for part two. I want to hear more about Lance, the guy. Is he a good dad? Is he a good person? Uh, It's funny, on camera, his adoptive father took credit for being the reason why Lance had a champion mentality. And Lance's adopted father, I believe named, oh, I can't, I think Howard Armstrong, kind of just elected to say, without being asked to say this, he said, without me being as hard on him as I was, he wouldn't have become the champion he is. And it's an odd thing to say. It's kind of dark to say, like, because he hasn't lived with him. It's not his biological dad. He hasn't seen him since he's, like, 15. And for that guy to say, I'm the reason Lance Armstrong made it, it's kind of dark and kind of twisted. And it makes me wonder, who is Lance now? How has he coped with all that? How is he as a dad? Is he better as a dad than his own father figures were to him? I don't know. There's a darkness, a lot of egos in the story of Lance Armstrong. And I just want to learn more in part two. Aside from the fact that he's a super authentic, casual speaker, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I love his cut to the chase, no nonsense kind of delivery and storytelling. It's really, really cool. I can't recommend it enough. And I think Lance Armstrong is one of the more fascinating characters in the sports world. Clearly got an ego, clearly not perfect, but I like that he owns it. Okay, um, Max Brown did a podcast, I listened to it the other day, where he opened up about his former football career, his playing days, his journey. And it was quite good. Uh, Victoria Garrick has a podcast, Victoria Garrick has a podcast called Real Pod. She's a former UC, USC volleyball player, played at USC, and she's also Max Brown's girlfriend. I didn't want to say Max Brown's girlfriend. I wanted to say, hey, Victoria Garrett's her own person, her own brand, also dating Max. And he's a former USC quarterback, former Pitt, Pittsburgh quarterback, who was at one point the number one quarterback recruit in America. So Max went on Victoria's podcast and really opened up about his journey and It's very clear this is a dude talking about the most painful experience in his entire life. Really failing as a quarterback in college football. And, you know, he he failed at his goals. And that's really tough. He was a number one quarterback recruit in America, and he wanted to become an NFL quarterback. That was his goal. When you're the number one recruit in America, it's believed you're going to get a shot at the NFL. And he lost his job to Sam Darnold at USC. Then he transferred to Pitt. Then he got hurt. He tore his labrum. And he never made it to the NFL. And that's the elevator pitch of Sam Darnold's journey. A painful, tough one. And I just want to say I applaud Max Brown in this podcast for his honesty, for his authenticity. To relive those memories was so clearly painful. He even teared up and cried at one moment. And I have so much respect for Max Brown Owning his shortcomings, it's really hard to do. Most former athletes, myself included, have a hard time admitting, like, hey, I wasn't good enough at blank. I didn't have a strong enough arm, or I got beat out, or this or that. It's hard to own that. And it's really easy to be a little bit delusional as a former athlete. Everyone says, you know, back in the good old days, and everyone has that kind of attitude. And refreshingly, Max does not, you know, we as people, as human beings, want to tell stories that make us either sound like a hero or sound like a victim. And Max doesn't do either one. He owns what happened. He owns his failure. He owns his mistake. And I, I just really want to say I cannot overstate how 
impressed I was with Max Brown as a person. Max was, I don't know, he, he was talking about, again, the most painful thing in his life, taking extreme ownership about how his football career was not what he wanted it to be. And one of my favorite moments in the podcast with Victoria is where he says that he failed in football. And that's a brutal, harsh, ugly thing to say. And he even said it makes people uncomfortable. Max said it makes people uncomfortable when I say that I failed. It's blunt, it's harsh, but he's adamant and he's right that Max Brown did fail. It's the truth. And the truth is not pretty. It's awful. It's not cool. But the reality is he failed at his goals as a college football player. He never made it to the NFL. He didn't do what he wanted to do from the time he was a little kid. And dang, does that sting. But even though he failed as a football player, Max Brown is not a failure as a person. And it's so clear when you hear Max talk. I mean, man, the dude's got his head on straight. He's brought a, he got a bright career in football somewhere, probably as a broadcaster. And everything he said really spoke to me because he rattles off so much wisdom over and over again. About the 45-minute mark is really where it gets great. And I love how passionate he is. He says, don't lie to yourself. Me, Zach Schaumler, I'm a former quarterback. I now work as a broadcaster. There's a reason I'm not playing football anymore. That's a, it's painful. It's hard to own. You know what? I wasn't Sam Darnold. Guess what happened in high school? I played catch with Sam Darnold. I was on the same field as Blake Barnett and Josh Rose. And I was there. I'm their age. And I didn't make it. Me, Zach Schaumler, didn't make it. From the Elite 11 workouts of Trent Dilfer, I never became what I wanted to be. My goals never happened. I'm a broadcaster now, working in football still, thank goodness. But I really identified with Max Brown's story about not making it. And, you know, the truth is painful, but man, one of his best lines is the advice saying that you want to pair your passion for your sport with also some self-awareness. And if you can have, I think, man, as a guy who works in sports, it's so great. You may not become the next, you know, uh, Michael Jordan or Messi or Mike Trout. You might not make it doing what you want to do in your sport, but you can still have a future in your sport, whether you're covering it or you're coaching or you're working. I know a guy who works for the Bengals, just working behind the scenes, helping them in their front office. There are a lot of people like that. If you want a job in sports, you can have one, even if you're not Michael Jordan. Let me tell you, I, I'm so lucky and glad to be around. I'm fortunate it's the right word. I'm not lucky. I worked hard to be here. But I'm so happy to work in sports. And Max clearly has a future doing something working in sports. And he also echoed something that I, I've said a lot on my show, which is that you can't let the good comments get you too high, but you can also never let the bad comments get you too low. you got to be very even keel and steady getting your value from yourself. And it's interesting. There's a lesson my dad taught me when I was a little, little kid. He said that your value doesn't come from your performance. You, your, your value is not based on your performance. And it's so important to say like, hey, I'm valuable as a person, not because of how I perform, but because of who I am and my drive and my work ethic and my passion, the way I fight. And I, I know, I've DM'd with Max Brown a little bit behind the scenes on Instagram. And Max, if you're watching, well done. Uh, I'd love to have you on the show, but even if you if you never come on Strong Opinion Sports, I just want you to know that you're just I'm, I'm really enjoying watching your story as a person, the way you've grown, the way you've really made it happen. I'm impressed with you as a human being, and I just can't say enough good things about Max Brown. 
Um, you know, again, my value is not based on my performance. It's something my dad always told me, and it's clear Max has learned that. And this whole podcast is an example. It's the Victoria Garrick, the real pod with Victoria Garrick. Go find the Max Brown episode. It's a great listen, and you get to watch and hear Max Brown talk about the pain he's processed. And I think there's so many life lessons you can learn from Max. Uh, one of the stand-up people in sports that owns his failures, owns his flaws, and I just really love that. Max Brown, well done. Go listen to it. It's great. And I just I really enjoyed it. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to end the show with Ask Zach questions. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to jump into Ask Zach. It's my favorite part of the show. It's where we read questions from the audience. Of course, if you don't know how it works, if you don't, the way what you do to submit a question, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. If you can give more, please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But giving just a dollar a month gives you access to submit, submit questions, send them in on Patreon. My guarantee is that I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I do not guarantee. If you submit a question, I do not guarantee to answer it on the show, but I do guarantee I'll read every single question with my eyeballs. Then I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. So let me see if I can find the most recent episodes. Bam. The first question is from Josh. Josh writes in. He says, since you're a fan of both Star Wars and football, which Star Wars character do you think would be the best NFL quarterback? Who would be the worst? So to me, Obi-Wan Kenobi would clearly be the best quarterback from the Star Wars universe. He's a good decision maker. He's disciplined. He's very talented. He's a good leader. He's wise. He's got all the traits that you'd want in a typical quarterback. So Obi-Wan is the best quarterback I can think of from the Star Wars universe. Han Solo would also be interesting. I think Han Solo would be kind of a like a Brett Favre-style gunslinger who is not always pretty, but he gets the job done and does pretty dang well. I thought maybe Poe Dameron. You know, it's funny that the, the there are three trilogies in the Star Wars universe. You have the original trilogy, which has, you know, A New Hope, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo— the last, you know, Return of the Jedi, uh, Empire Strikes Back. That's the original trilogy. Then you have the prequels with Clone Wars and Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith. And then you have the sequel series with, man, what is it even called? The Force Awakens and the, the other Last Jedi. And uh, I can't even remember what the last one's called. I can't. Rise of Skywalker, I think, is one of the middle ones. I, I can't even remember. They're less memorable to me. I, I didn't like them as much. Um, and none of the characters in the sequel series, though, really would make great quarterbacks. Maybe Poe Dameron, but he really struggled with authority. He couldn't listen to, in that middle movie, Poe really didn't listen to uh, Princess Leia, and it shows that maybe he's not very coachable. Then you have Kylo Ren, who's a loose cannon. Ray's a weak leader, but really talented. Finn is literally running away from fights. I don't know that anybody in the, the sequel series would be a great quarterback from the Star Wars universe. And uh, it's interesting and kind of fun to judge movies that way. Um, if you judge the, the series and the sequels, is the, what am I saying? The trilogy is based on how many characters they have that could be quarterbacks. You have, man, the, the original trilogy has Han Solo, Princess Leia, Obi-Wan Kenobi, three guys that I think, three guys and a girl, two guys and a girl, that I think would all make a great quarterback in the football world. You go to the prequel trilogy, you have just Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, maybe Yoda, maybe Mace Windu, I don't know. But certainly not Anakin Skywalker, certainly not uh, Emperor Palpatine. 
And then in the sequel series, you have, man, just nobody that I would want to make a quarterback. So it's cool to me that not only is the original trilogy my favorite Star Wars movies, but they have the strongest characters. And strong characters are what you need to make a quarterback. I mean, you have, again, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo, Princess Leia. And the fact that Luke is actually, Luke, the main protagonist, kind of, of the Star Wars original trilogy, is he's kind of the weakest character in the bunch. That's very telling and shows how good all the characters are in that original trilogy of Star Wars movies. And, man, I I will never, ever uh, waver. I I just think, man, they're so special. I love, love, love the original trilogy. Now, one of the pieces of feedback I got from my video about Star Wars last time is that people said, hey, Zach, you got to listen to, you got to watch Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And I I will say I've watched a little bit of The Clone Wars. It looks like a great show. Um, Someday I'll give it more time and really watch it. But I want to say there's one flaw in everyone's argument. People say, well, hey, the the Star Wars Clone Wars TV show solved the problem with the Star Wars prequel trilogy. No, it didn't. No, it did not. There's a great TV show out there that makes Anakin Skywalker much more nuanced and much more interesting. But it doesn't mean that the movies still weren't a failure from a storytelling perspective. If you need to make a whole other TV show... To make a trilogy of movies work, it's bad writing. That's a bad story. That's bad execution. And I understand. I I have sympathy for people who say, and and they're not wrong. The people who say, hey, you know, Star Wars The Clone Wars makes the, the prequel trilogy much better. Yes, it's a really good way to augment that trilogy. You get more storytelling. You get much better storytelling. It's really nuanced and interesting. But again, if you need a whole other TV series to make a movie trilogy not awful, that's a really bad sign, and all it really does is show just how bad the Star Wars prequel trilogy is, in my opinion. Okay, Caleb writes in. Caleb says, and again, like when I was a kid, I enjoyed watching Attack of the Clones, and I saw Revenge of the Sith in theaters with my dad. I got a trading card of Darth Vader. It was like one of my highlights of my life. Like I'm not saying the, the prequel trilogy is is fun, I enjoy watching them. Like, if I sit down, I think Attack of the Clones is the most interesting movie. You got that giant battle sequence, and every time I see it on TV, I sit down and watch it. I'm not saying they're the worst movies ever, but they're weaker from a storytelling perspective than a lot of other movies out there, and they could have been better, and it's just sad that there's a missed opportunity, and Phantom Menace especially has so many missteps. Oh, that I hate. Oh, it's awful. And, um... I don't know. I just, uh, they're not the worst. I'm not trying to make people's childhoods sound terrible. That's not my point here, but definitely the prequel trilogy could have been better, and I'm sad that it's not. Okay, Caleb writes in. Caleb says, Hey, Zach. I hope you had a fun Memorial Day. My question is simple. Have you been to any national parks? And what three national parks would you want to visit? Uh, Caleb, I was lucky enough to grow up in the Northwest. You, you kind of lived here for a little bit, too, in the Oregon area. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, there are a ton of national parks. I've been to Crater Lake, went there with my friends. Uh, we had, it's the deepest lake in the United States. It used to be a volcano that literally filled with rainwater and water. Uh, it's just unbelievable. I, I stayed in the area at Sun River, actually, about two hours away from there, and drove into Crater Lake and hiked around it. And, man, what a fun day that was. I've uh, been to the Olympic National Forest. The Olympic National Forest is – I went there a few weeks ago. It's a massive part of – Western Washington, lush green rainforest, huge cliffs, really 
cool, gorgeous, rainy beaches. The Olympic National Forest, if you can ever go, I wouldn't go out of my way to go there. There's other prettier places. But if you are in the area in Seattle and Portland, you got to make time and go see it. It's so cool. Uh, I've been to the Redwood Forest. This is where there are massive trees that are as wide as a house and as tall as a skyscraper. I'm not exaggerating. They are gigantic and massive. Uh, they're like nothing else on Earth. I learned about them in AP Environmental Science in high school. The redwoods are able to grow so big because of the way that the mist and the fog rolls off from the ocean and helps water the top of trees, actually. And they look, when you see a redwood tree and you just look up and you're like, oh my gosh, it looks like something out of a dinosaur era. You're like, that. I, this cannot be on planet Earth. It's so unique and so cool. Um, I went to Yellowstone as a kid. I'm going back very soon. It's right by Bozeman, Montana, which is one of my favorite places on Earth. Uh, Yellowstone's really cool. It's a gigantic supervolcano. Pray to God it never blows up. That would like devastate the whole planet. There's literally a ton of YouTube videos about that. Very interesting. Um, and then I literally live up the road from uh, Fort Vancouver. I live very, very close to it. I live in the Vancouver, Washington area. Uh, technically, it's a National Historic Site. I don't know if that counts. But, hey, I've been there. It's a really pretty place and kind of cool to see the history of it. Um, there's even, like, TV shows. I think Frontier like revolves around Fort Vancouver. They take place in that area. Um, now, there are three places I want to go. I'm going to add a fourth, actually, because I can. Uh, Grand Teton uh, in Wyoming is incredible. There's just mountains that are beautiful. Uh, you have Glacier National Park in Montana, this incredible lake, Glacier Lake. Uh, I've seen the Grand Canyon from a plane. I flew to Salt Lake City uh, to broadcast Utah State versus Washington State. Not Utah, excuse me, University of Utah in Salt Lake City versus Washington State uh, last year during football season. I got to see the Grand Canyon from above, and I just looked at it and went, man, I got to go back and try to backpack through it someday. It'd be really, really cool. And then shout out to Banff, Canada. Banff, Canada has got this incredible lake. Uh, I believe it's called Moraine Lake. If you go on Instagram, you'll see so many pictures. It's like the go-to Instagram lake because the water is this really deep, very light aqua blue color that's unlike any other place I've ever seen. That's the actual color of the lake. It doesn't look like a normal color blue. It looks like – because blue is usually dark when you look at water. It's just like see-through blue, like very, very light blue. It's just a different colored lake. And it's not an Instagram filter. No, that's actually what the lake looks like in Banff, uh, Canada. I want to go there someday. It's on my bucket list. Those are the national parks I've been to and the national parks I want to go someday. Daniel writes in. Daniel says, hey, Zach, first time writing in, long-time listener. Daniel, thank you so much. I appreciate you more than you know. Uh, what do you believe to be the most important traits a head coach needs in order to succeed? Do you prefer coaches to be laid back and team-oriented or hard-nosed and only interested in the X's and O's? Thanks. Um, I made a video about this called The Five Traits Needed to Be a Great NFL Head Coach. I think one of the things I left off of that list was that a coach needs to be able to relate and understand to his players and just have some kind of ability to understand the guys he's working with. Um, but I recommend go watch the video, The Five Traits Needed to Be a Great NFL Head Coach. Um, I'll just mention what those five things were. Number one was you need to be revered or respected by the people on your team. Number two is you need to be organized. Number three is you need to make good decisions and big stressful moments. I call it a high velocity decision maker. You got to be able to make the right call in a tough moment. Number four, you got to be an overall good decision maker. I don't want to see off the field issues with my head coach in football. And then number five, 
in order, the fifth most important thing is you got to have a guy who's football smart. But I think all the other stuff is more important. Again, revered, organized, good decision maker in big moments, overall good decision making. Then number five at the bottom is a guy who's got great X's and O's, strategy, making adjustments in games. Uh, but football smart is the fifth most relevant thing as an NFL head coach. You got to have all the other five things. If you don't, you're not going to make it as a coach, in my opinion. Okay, the next question is from Jackson. Jackson says, I know you like video games, but do you play Madden? Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the game, but because it's the only official game on the market for football, I tend to play it a good bit. Uh, I am very weird. I, I, I kind of admit that a lot on the show. I still play Madden 11 on the PlayStation 3. I actually have, I have an Xbox One. I have a Switch. I have a PS4. Uh, all the standard old models. I'm not going to get the new ones yet. Um, but I, I even actually bought it at one point. I believe Madden 17. It was on sale. Um, but I prefer Madden 11 to all the new Maddens. It's kind of weird. I play Madden franchise mode. I, I love it. I've got the... I moved the Washington Redskins to New Mexico. And then I moved them to Manhattan later. They're the Manhattan Red Bulls. Um, and it's like 2055, 2054 on my franchise. I played for so many seasons in Madden, um, and I know my playbook super well. Madden, for me, has never changed enough to want to get the new ones, really. Uh, Madden 11 is perfect for me. I love franchise mode. I go back every couple months and play a couple games, maybe a season. And also, I have mastered the movement and timing of Madden 11. I don't want to relearn that. Uh, when I tried Madden 17, I had to learn new timing and a new playbook, and I just went... Why? I don't want to do any of this work. I don't enjoy this. I was like, nah, I'm good. I used the Redskins Shanahan playbook in Madden 11. It's got like 15 plays I know by heart. I just know all their timing and how to manipulate people and where to go, make a bunch of adjustments. I even put a, I put a receiver at running back for certain, uh, certain very specific sets. I have a tight end. I put, or excuse me, I have a receiver. I put a tight end to use a more speedy tight, a re- tight end to beat tight man coverage from a linebacker. I have a left tackle I put at tight end to help in the running game in a certain formation uh, to take advantage of everything. I just I, I love that nuance of Madden is manipulating matchups. That's what football's all about. That's why Madden's really fun. And I felt like Madden 11 gave me the best tools to do that compared to the newer Madden games. Um, and I'm completely satisfied with Madden 11. I just have no interest to upgrade to the new Madden games. I still play on the PS3. I have a PS4 and Xbox One. I just don't see the value or the need. And I think Madden 11 is the best Madden, in my opinion, ever made. It's got Drew Brees in the cover. It's just a perfect game that I, I love. And I don't really want to change. I don't want anything else. I'm stuck in my ways. I'm very happy with what I have. And uh, I'll never probably ever again buy a new Madden game unless I have, I actually have, I'm weird. I have three PS3s because my goal is when one PS3 breaks, I got a backup. And then if that PS3 ever breaks, I got another one. So I'm probably set for my entire life. Um, I ha- I'll have a PS3 as long as I live. And I'll never need to replace uh, or-, or get a different Madden game because I don't have any desire to. And if that breaks, I still have the NCAA games on Xbox uh, 360. So I- I'm set. I'm happy. I have no desire to ever uh, change. And I think the older games are much better than the newer ones. And I'm very satisfied and very happy with Madden 11. And if some reason something happens, I can't play Madden 11, guess what I'll do? I'll play NCAA 14 on the Xbox 360. Okay, John writes in. Uh, John says, what personality trait 
must you see in a person to enjoy their company? What's a personality trait you try to avoid at all costs? Great question, man. Um, to enjoy someone's company, I, I simply need somebody to be kind. I, I don't like being around mean people. I uh, can't deal with them. So I think kindness is probably number one. That's kind of a cop-out answer, though. Uh, another thing that kills me is when people are not straightforward. I'm very blunt. I get to the point. I hate when people pander or try to manipulate me. It's like, what do you want? Why are you here? What are you talking to me about? Um, or just say what you want. Cut to the chase. I just, I hate all this stuff. I'm very, I'm kind of an impatient person, if I'm totally honest. I'm very blunt. And, you know, I'm a total introvert. I don't like dealing with people. And so the people I choose to spend my time with are a very select group of people that I'm happy with. And I don't, I have like four friends and I don't really want new friends. As weird as that is, like I just, I have my group, I have my community and I'm very happy with that. And I don't see much, I see the desire to, uh, to have more. Uh, What do I avoid? Again, like I said, I'm very blunt. I avoid people that aren't straightforward. It drives me literally nuts. I hate in business, especially uh, working with people like that. I had a boss one time that was very passive aggressive. Never, ever again. It made me never want to have a boss. I'm very happy to work with myself. Um, you know what I'll answer, though? I will say this. The thing I try to avoid in myself, I work really hard to be self-aware. My, my biggest fear probably in the world is to not have self-awareness because you see it with so many people where some people just have no idea about who they are or what they're saying or this or that, and I, I try to work really hard to have a, a grasp on who I am and be realistic about myself and be honest about myself. Um, and then another thing I try to avoid, I never really yell. I, don't, I, I try not to get angry pretty much ever. Uh, if I do ever get angry, it's at an inanimate object like, a, like an editing software or how much I hate the IRS and how awful they are to work with. Um, but I can't remember the last time I yelled at another person. Even talking to the IRS, I, I literally, I'm not kidding, I hate the IRS with a strong strong passion. They just are, oh my God, they rob you of so much money. They are horrible customer service. They don't want to work with you. They just are the worst. But even when I'm on the phone with someone from the IRS, I don't yell at them. That doesn't help me at all. All it does is is makes it ineffective to communicate with them. So don't yell. It's not nice, but it's also just an ineffective form of communication. And I just don't encourage that. I, I try to keep my cool. I don't get angry very often at other people. If I ever get mad, it's like I'm trying to edit a video and it won't process. I'm like, dang it, I got kind of frustrated there. Um, but I, I'm not a yeller, and I don't really get mad very often. And uh, I work hard to be self-aware as well. So I encourage all that stuff. Um, and, and try to be – think with self-awareness is you want to be self-aware of your ego. It can be really hard to let your ego blind you and blind your decision-making. So I just encourage that. Uh, those are the character traits. John, your question was great. I really loved it, man. Thank you so much. And uh, just well done. Now, Menko writes in. He says, hey, Zach, only one question worth asking. I am talking about Titanic. Was there room for both of them? I need reasoning for your answer. And as an analyst, I expect you to break down the play-by-play of how to get Jack on the door. Cheers, Jay. It's not a complicated. It's not a long. I don't need to give you a long play-by-play breakdown. Jack needs to get on the plank with her. I forget the name of the girl in Titanic. Uh, it's it's pretty insane. Go watch Titanic. It's a good movie by James Cameron. It's got a young Leonardo DiCaprio. Made me cry. Phenomenal. Great movie. But man, the ending is just silly. It's like, what the heck? The girl is in the ocean. 
floating on a door, literally like a door that's driftwood. And her boyfriend dies because he couldn't fit on the driftwood as well. It's ridiculous and nonsense. And I just thought it was so weird because he could have fit too. He could have fit on the piece of driftwood with her. And it's just a weird oversight, which could have easily been solved by the props department getting a smaller piece of driftwood. But instead, they used a massive door for her to float on. And as a result, the movie looks very silly because, hey, Jack, Leonardo DiCaprio's character could have fit on the door, the piece of driftwood with her as well. Uh, don't need a big breakdown. Hey, Jack, get on the door. That's all I have to say. I'm kind of irritated. <laughs> I try to say I never get mad. I, that movie, great movie. Weird ending where, like, it's just a small, small mistake by the pop props department. And if you get a better prop door to float on, it's a little smaller. The movie would have made way more sense at the end. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, I want to end the show the same way I always do, which is to say that four years ago, unfortunately, my younger brother took his life. Uh, he committed suicide, and it was awful. And I learned two really painful lessons throughout that entire experience. Number one, if you're struggling, go get help. If you're having a hard time, do not suffer in silence the way that my brother did. Go get help. Go talk to a counselor, a teacher, a parent, whoever you can. Go get help. And if you really have no one to talk to, as a last resort, if you have nothing else you can do, then call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255 if you have no one else to talk to. And then, man, I encourage you. I learned this, too, when my brother died. Make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. I give my girlfriend a hug every single day. I say, man, I just love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. And I encourage you to do that with the people in your life. Make sure the people around you know how much you care about them. And then I encourage you, man, you know, be the kind of person. Make it clear to them that if they're struggling, they can come talk to you. I regret not doing a better job making it clear to my brother that if he was having a hard time, he could open up. He could talk. We just I never told him, hey, man, I love you. And if you're struggling, you can come talk to me. So I encourage you, make sure the people in your life know you love them and that if they're struggling, they can come talk to you guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. Thank you to Manscaped. Again, the Lawnmower 3.0, phenomenal product. Um, I, I'm not BSing. I'm just telling you, like, I recommend it man to man. It's a good product that made my life just way better. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. Go to manscaped.com, promo code CLNS20, CLNS20. And uh, companies out there, man, if you want to work with me, send me your product. And if I like it, I'll promote it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to promote it. I don't. There are a lot of products that have been sent to me, and I just go, eh, don't like it. Not a fan. And I, I, when I get a product I really like, like this one that made my life better, I want to sing the praises of it. So thank you so much. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.